0: Coming up, the Brooklyn Nets looked for a bounce-back game to close out their West Coast trip in Utah and instead had a disastrous performance. One in four heading back home. Questions abound around the rotations. We break down what went wrong coming up next.
1: You are Locked
0: On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends. It is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. I'm um, Adam Armbrecht. We thank you, as always, for making us your first listen of the day. We are 100% free on all those great platforms. And let you know, this episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On NBA for $20 off your first purchase. And one thing I won't be purchasing is stock in the Brooklyn Nets traveling West, Doug. This was supposed to be two and three, beat the Suns, good vibes abound, and instead, not even arguably, the worst performance of the road trip they used to cap this thing off against the Jazz in a loss.
1: Yeah, for sure. Save the worst for last. I and mean, you never like to see say, old <laughs> that, old, that old chestnut. You know, just uh, make, make sure you save the worst for last. That's exactly what the Nets did. Uh, I mean, we always did a lot of them things- wanting less. Now, yeah, there's there's well, they definitely did that. They, there's a lot to talk about here. I think there's a lot of kind of that went into sort of the end of this trip. Fatigue, um, the road kind of got to them. Injuries have for sure caught up with this team. Uh, there's a lot of different excuses to be made. Not necessarily that I think that they're all you know relevant or all, they're all you know the thing that has led to this. But in the end, to close out this West Coast trip with a 125-108 loss, to attend well, they were nine and 17 Utah jazz team heading into it. It's a really, really rough look. And they let go of the rope, like late in this game where it was just like over right four or five minutes left. You kind of just knew there was no hope. I don't know if it was a culmination of sort of all the games before the travel, whatever else has gone into this, just maybe lineup combinations, but for sure the Hornets loss was the most disappointing loss of the year. Definitely. This one to me ranks right up there with it though yeah. both, mostly because they just kind of got smoked in the end and you just can't do that to a team like Utah who considering the state of this team.
0: Yeah, I, there was a sequence late in this game where I think it's a turnover for the Brooklyn Nets on the offensive end, the transition game starts for Utah and Spencer Dinwiddie. He's the only guy that like runs back and and it was kind of symbolic in that in that regard of okay, we're all done here. You can go yeah. ahead and pull out the starters. You can empty the bench. And I, I say it you know, with a chuckle, but it's it's demoralizing in the sense that this has never been a team that throws in the towel, right? Even as they get into these late games, usually it's Jacques Vaughn finally saying, okay, we're going to pull the guys out here. We know it's going to be a scheduled loss. Just on a, on a micro level here inside of this game, they get beat in transition. They get beat on the glass. They get beat at the free throw line. Like, there's – any number of areas that you could point to inside of this game that just speaks to it being bad. When we spoke on the pregame about it, I, I didn't think it was going to be like this, but I wondered about that length and that, you know, the Jazz could create a couple of problems. The biggest problem was on the offensive glass for the Nets. They just, they never got a second chance. They never got an opportunity for one of those put back looks from Nicholas Claxton. Didn't see any minutes from Deron Sharp in this game. I mean, there's a million little pieces inside of this thing to say that we're bad. But really, this actually is one of those times when I can just look at the box score and go, oh, yeah, you're going to lose this game if you get beat in every key statistical category, essentially.
1: For sure. There's some games that you lose because you think, okay, well, we shot poorly. There's some games you lose because the other team just shot the lights out, right? Like there's like sometimes you can point to these just different things. This one to me felt like, I don't want to call it, well, I guess I just will call it effort. <laughs> like it felt like an effort loss. <laughs> right. um, I, I'm, I'm caveating that to say, that a lot has been put on these starters here in the short term in terms of minutes and overall just workload. And so that's why I'm a little hesitant to call it effort because I do think there's other pieces that go into it. But in the end, it comes down to effort, whether you can't put in the effort because of fatigue, whether because you don't want to, whether because you just see the writing on the wall that it's kind of over. But I would put that this like this loss felt like, hey, we're just getting outworked here. Like, it's just, you know, whether it's on the offensive glass, whether it's closeouts, whether it's not being able to stop guys like Taylor Horton Tucker, whether it's just not getting great offensive possessions, these, when you stack enough of those little sort of effort or whatever energy, I'll call it energy, I guess is the better word, energy pieces together. Yeah, you're going to lose And like in the NBA, the talent is just too good. Like you can't. It just doesn't matter that the Jazz are a lottery team that maybe be trading off pieces. In the end, the talent level across the NBA is just too good. If you take these nights off, if your energy is lower, if the effort is lower, especially when you're on the road, Utah's a tough place to play. They have a winning record at home. The Jazz do it, it, those. You are going to get caught, like you're going to get snuck on those things. And that this kind of just felt like the theme of it. it. Felt like sort of like they were just. Not You know, sort of sleepwalking through this game, whether it was on the offensive glass, whether it was just getting stops, it just felt like it just felt like you could feel it coming. (laughs) Right. And maybe they're all just itching to go home and go home a little faster. I'm not sure. But to close the West Coast trip out this way is pretty it's pretty brutal.
0: And of course, on this West Coast trip, then we talk about that home record mirroring the Utah Jazz, eight and five at home for the Jazz, five and eight for the Nets on the road. So a culmination of a couple of bad things there. And then just to your point, you know, when we talk about some of the injuries they suffered here to cap off from a game level before we get into rotations, and I think maybe longer standing concerns that we have to look at for the Brooklyn Nets is there was no one to pass the baton off to that we've talked about right now. You don't have Dennis Smith Jr. You don't have Lonnie Walker. Yeah. That's been really felt here. You have Dor- uh, Dorian Finney-Smith nursing his way through an injury. So there wasn't this thing that we've seen all year. Okay, now Cameron Johnson, you explode for 15 points in a quarter here. That'll get us by until we can get our footing. Okay, Cam Thomas, you'll take over a stretch. Mikael Bridges, right? There just was not any of that sense, and you mentioned it there. It was the first quarter. The Nets were going back and forth. It was the first half. The Nets were going back and forth, but everything that I was feeling was – It's not supposed to be going back and forth right now, right? And at the end of the first half, they extended it to seven. They had a 7-0 run, but the Jazz did just enough to close that gap, right? And it was always had that sense of this felt like a surging Jazz team across the the course of the game, where for Brooklyn, it was like the slow bleed and whether or not you could hang on. And they ultimately could not in a big way losing this one uh, in the fourth quarter. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to I was going to put the one caveat here. That I was not going to you mentioned Cam Thomas. Like Cam, he he was great. Like he was Oh, he yeah, yeah. I don't mean, sorry, and I don't mean that as a <laughs> yeah, as a as a negative on him
0: taking over the game, just that you didn't have enough hands to pass it around to. Cam Thomas shows up, Spencer Dinwiddie puts together a nice game. But oh, I think what we saw in this one is like, yeah, as we've known all year, it's an all hands on deck, right? It's everybody contributes all the time and we get where we want to go. When it's just one or two players We've always said this, they don't have the top-end talent to sustain even against a bad team like the Jazz. So it's just, I think, a theme that we've we've focused on and will continue to focus on as we move forward. We'll talk about rotations in a second, but real quick, Doug, If I could, if we could. Let's just remember that our partners over at eBay Motor have worked with Locked On Fantasy basketball host Josh Lloyd, you know this guy, to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire every week, we're going to provide you with players that are guaranteed to fit your roster. Let's take a look, Doug, at who Josh has picked up this week as eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week.
1: Yeah, a bunch of like deeper cuts here from the fantasy, uh, with fantasy season long stuff. DFS too, to some degree. You got Brandon Pajemski; he's to the starting lineup. Uh, Nets got Nets fans got a healthy dosing of him the other night when the Nets played the Warriors. He's been really, really good. And even when we talked about in the draft process when we looked at pods, uh, rebounds the position really, really well for guard. Can shoot the lights out of the of the place, and the rebounding from the college level has actually. Carried over to the NBA level. So you like to see that in the starting lineup. Get Tari coming off the bench here for the Rockets, but he's getting more run. They dealt with some wing injuries. i Thompson, uh, Jayshon Tate. Like so, Tari Eason, he, he could just absolutely fill it up per minute on a fantasy basis if you're looking into that. And you're still getting Grayson Allen starting here with Bradley Beal out yet again for the Suns, uh, kind of becoming a recurring theme over there for Phoenix. Grayson Allen, nice little pickup. James Wiseman too, off the bench for the stumbling pistons with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly brake kits led headlights roof rack bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus the prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebay motors.com ebay guaranteed fit only available to u.s customers eligible items only exclusions apply So as we continue wrapping up the 125-108 blowout loss to close out the
0: West Coast trip for the Brooklyn Nets, we turn our attention inside the rotation into two key players here, really. Cam Thomas had an excellent game, and we're going to talk about just how good he was. The contrast here was Mikhail Bridges and really across this entire road trip where he has struggled, and he struggled last night in this game. And it remains kind of a theme here. We know the tongue-in-cheek, everybody, or actually some fans want to point to this and say it's real. That when Cam Thomas scores a lot of points, the Brooklyn Nets don't win. Okay. The it's other side of that coin is when Cam Thomas scores a lot of points, nobody else comes to help him. So his 17-23, to 5-7 from deep, and t- 32 points across 37 minutes, it's going to go by the wayside when you don't have other people, as I said at the top, to hand that baton off to and
1: carry the load forward through a game. Yeah, it's it's brutal. And anyone that wants to like, if you want to point, if you're out there pointing to like, oh, when he scores more than twenty five points, they lose. It's like a stu- it's ridiculous that. So uh, it's just you do your best, you'd be in your best interest to stop quoting it. Now we can talk about like what best fits are with Cam, and uh, just in terms of you know lineup and stuff. But if you're just gonna, if Mikhail Bridges is gonna play like this, like the Nets can't win. I, like there's just that's kind of that that's really kind of that simple. Uh, Bridges was brutal, brutal on this road trip. Yeah. I, like. Written, i wouldn't go f- as far to say to say it's disturbingly bad but it's concerningly bad and he was you know he was rightfully although you hate to see it to deject, really dejected after this game if you read the quotes he put the loss all on himself basically was got very specific about what he did wrong which in his mind was basically everything and so I, I, you don't love to see those quotes I, I guess there's some solace in the fact that he understands it maybe but uh, these quotes are uh, really, really down for what you just see from professional athletes. But the overall road splits for him—excuse me—the overall West Coast splits for Bridges over these five games: sixteen point six points, um, th- three rebounds, three assists, thirty-five point six field goal percentage. He was a minus forty-nine. That's over the that's over the five games. I mean, that's terrible. Those numbers are terrible. I, like he's supposed to be the best player. You have to rely on him for, you know, a scoring load. He has to have, and if he has just okay games here against Utah, they probably win, you know, to combine with how good Cam Thomas was. Yeah, this is the numbers are bad. I think like, there's no other way around it. It's like, you know, we, we went through a stretch where it was looking better for him, and he's had he's not this whole season has been, not been bad for sure. But this five game stretch was bad. I mean, one of the worst, maybe his worst five game stretches is the net, and it's just going to be tough. Like, if those are going to be the numbers. I can just tell you right now what the Nets win loss is going to be (laughs) like if that if those are if that's going to be the efficiency, if that's going to be the points, if that's going to be, you know, just like what he's doing. I'll just tell you right now what the win loss is going to be. It's going to be significantly below 500. They can't win if he's not super efficient. It literally kind of doesn't matter what everyone else does. Like they need him that bad. 37.5%
0: 37.5% from the field. That was the high water mark over the last four games of this trip. He started against the Kings in a loss with 46% from the field. But beyond that, as you say, it was just brutal, man. A 4-16 performance in this last game, 6-17 of 17 the game prior. And, and this is one of those times when, again, we, we use this. Box score doesn't tell you everything because the eye test tells you How badly this was going for Mikhail. One of the themes all season for him has been the finishing around the rim. Now, whether or not it's just being good help defense at times, like there's some of these moments, then there's just these point blanks. Like there's just these point blanks where either he is just too slight a frame, he doesn't go up aggressively at the basket. Now, this isn't me, you know, ripping down Mikhail Bridges' game to the studs here, but he's not an aggressive attack at the basket player. So these soft layups going towards the rim, I mean, I I can count a dozen examples already this season where it's just, yep, soft little layup, either hard off glass, doesn't get the lucky bounce, or allows a defender to make the play on the ball as well. Those have been some of the most brutal and maybe indicative of the struggles we've seen from his game because you need those. Those are little clutch moments. Those are little clutch moments that you need from your lead player. And as you say, over a five-game stretch here, over this West Coast trip, I, I mean, is there a world where the 418th consecutive game that Mikhail Bridges played last night Is there any world where it's like that starts to become just a little bit of the wear down effect here? I don't want to ever lean on that, but this is the first full season now. First full season where Mikael Bridges is considered to be that guy, right? And there's a different load. We always talk about it. Not every minute is created equal in the NBA. And this does feel a little bit like maybe that wear down is going to be more cumulative
1: for a guy that has not been in this type of role before in his career. Very well could be. I mean, you know, just a figuring out process from the rest of the league, um, whether it's just fatigue factor, whether it's just, you know, this is, you just kind of run out of, I don't want to say run out of steam, but like, if you get a combination of those two things, right? Like you get more tape on what it looks like for you to be the number one guy which other teams definitely have at this point. If you plus the fact that he just played a million minutes, second most minutes in the NBA over the course of the last few years, when you count playoffs, Tatum has more. Uh, but that's mostly just because Boston made such deep playoff runs, right? So he has, so McHale's got all the games, but Tatum has more minutes. It doesn't matter. Like those two guys are so far ahead of the rest of the group that it's not even funny. They're yeah. I, the finishing in the rim has been awful. And because it's funny, too, because like he has 36.6% from the field, which is terrible. The three point shooting is not terrible, but it only emphasizes how bad the at rim finishing is (laughs) because it's like he's he's sort of making a decent amount of, of his threes. He's just literally missing every single thing at the rim, including the buzzer beater the other night against Golden State, which sort of highlights part of the problem. It carried over here. He's getting increasingly frustrated with the maybe what he feels like are non-foul calls. Sometimes it's hard to tell because he's not the biggest guy in the world. So if you're yeah. gonna get a little physical with him, it's like it might not show up in the same way. The Nets just need him to be better. And we struggled, we, we went back and forth about who to talk about first between Mikhail or Cam here. And I'm just I'm paying homage to the idea that you know it we wanted to make sure we discussed them in tandem because sort of how they go is how the nets are going to go. I think at this point, but yeah. I, we brought up bridges first cause they lost the game and it feels like this is the reason bridges said it himself. Yeah. You look at the stats and it just kind of feels like that is a big part of the reason why you do it. If your best player is going to significantly underperform expectations then I just, yeah, it's just, it's a concerning set of circumstances. And I mean, there's, you can always get it right by, with a few good games in a row. We just had like a little too many of these stretches. Cause we talked about it once at the beginning of the season, then it kind of got back on track. But if you look at the overall performance, it's kind of lumpy. There's been like some ceiling games, but then like the baseline still feels lower. If that makes sense. Well, and the converse side of this is
0: Cam Thomas, right? And looking at how good he was in this game, 23, 12 of 23, excuse me, 5 of 7 from beyond the arc, as we mentioned, 32 points. And, and you know, it's funny, consistency, like, for Cam Thomas, I, I can always look back and say, oh, 13-point performance against Denver, 5 of 13. I can look back and say 3 of 10 against Atlanta, just 6 points in that game over 27 minutes. And I'm I'm highlighting his bad his bad games because he's a young player. He's he's stepping into his first consistent role at the NBA level. And around all of those performances, you got 32 last night, 41 against Golden State. You got 24, 20, 20, 17. Like there's a world where in totality, Cam Thomas's occasional dips inside of a box score. Is actually few and far between relative to what the inconsistencies or the lulls have been for Mikhail Bridges over significant stretches. Last night's a prime example. You said it before, and <laughs> I've got kind of up. I, I made the mistake, Doug, of making the joke about Spencer Dinwiddie when he scores twenty points, the Nets are four and two. When Mikhail, when uh, Cam Thomas scores thirty plus points, the Nets are one and five. It didn't land. It never lands because the idea as you said that this has any bearing on what the outcomes are. It's all relative to how this team is constructed. If you had a number one elite superstar and Cam Thomas was scoring 30 plus points alongside them, we'd be talking about far more wins than losses. But there's something here that doesn't work inside these rotations where when Cam Thomas is maximizing his value, the team is not maximizing those performances.
1: Yeah. Not, and by the way, I don't, I mean, maybe you're not, maybe you are doing, I don't think you are, but I'm not putting, and that's not a Cam Thomas problem. Like that's a, no, 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 a this is, this this is, is a someone problem. else's
0: problem. He's doing his job. What is yes. the job of everybody else? The coaching staff to make sure that these performances are rewarded with wins. It's not on Cam Thomas to score 32 points, shoot over 50% from the field, and then also figure out a not. way to drag his team across the line. Right.
1: Yeah, okay. I got a couple of things that the Nets probably need to sort out here in the short and long term because there are lingering questions that come out of this road trip. There's also just questions about sort of the depth of the overall team. We'll get into that here in a second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at game time. Look, when you're buying tickets for whatever it is, the sporting event, the play, the concert, you want it to be fun. Because you're about to have fun, you don't want it to be frustrating. You want the ticket buying experience to just go smoothly. You want to know you're getting the best price. You want to know what you're going to be able to see when you sit down in your seat. That is where Game Time steps in and makes the game time or the ticket buying experience the best around. Right now, if you go over to Game Time, you can grab some net stuff. Uh, Knicks, uh, Knicks coming to face the Nets. Now this is going to be a little pricey, eighty six dollars over there on Barclays. You want to go out a little bit in the future. Denver at Brooklyn, starting at forty three, and then the Pistons come to town in. What well, could be the next championships to try to stave off this uh, this Pistons <laughs> this Pistons losing streak? Those are starting for twenty six dollars over on Game Time. There's no better time to get in on the ticket buying action with Game Time. You download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code Locked On NBA, you to twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code Locked On NBA Game Time for twenty dollars off. Twenty dollars off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed.
0: All right, so as we tie a bow on the 124-108 to loss for the Brooklyn Nets at the hands of the Utah Jazz, finishing out a 1-4 and road trip, we'll talk a little bit big picture here as they come back home. Doug mentions the idea of this team playing some bad teams coming up, also some good teams coming up, like the Knicks, like the Denver Nuggets. So this, this downhill slope here on a three-game losing streak could actually start to snowball a little bit. What are the numbers on Cam Thomas that you want to get to here in terms of maybe just how good he's been and how disappointing it is the Nets aren't winning more of these games? <laughs>
1: Yeah, sorry. No, it's not a Cam Thomas. It wasn't actually a Cam Thomas uh, stats. It was the starting lineup stats. This Ah, starting lineup. There there are questions that need to be answered here about this current starting lineup. And it's one of the it's actually not too dissimilar to me. to when we talked about the Ben Simmons versus Nick Claxton debate about like what starting lineup you need, because we are probably getting into a situation with the net starters. And maybe this is for just a longer podcast where it's like, I think we know who the best five players are. And the question becomes, if those best five players actually work well together, right? Like, so we talked a lot about this with Simmons and Claxton, where it's like, okay, the best version of Simmons, like, let's say he's the top, that's top five player, right? Okay, fine. And Claxton too. It's like, we agree on that. Except that when we pair them together, we can understand that that pairing doesn't really work. So you get caught in this uh, very weird in between there is a world where this is starting to happen with this current group of, of starters this this group has been crushed crushed they've been they've been terrible <laughs> like it's the uh oh, he pulled up the wrong thing um I'll pull it up as I'm talking but they played about 100 minutes together this season and now some of it has come against more tough opponents like Denver and Golden State they played 90 they had 94 minutes they're not, negative 13 point net rating the defense 125 defensive rating that's oh. one of the got to be one of the worst in the league like they have been getting crushed and I do think that you probably have to make a change away from this group the question becomes who it is (laughs) because I think that Cam Thomas should start so I'm going to say that first second though there's other lineup with DFS in his place has been good this whole season and the numbers are really strong Again, I know everyone's going to hear, oh, you want to move Cam Thomas to bench. I really don't. Like, he probably you should prioritize his development above all with where the team is just sort of is in the development cycle. But do you see, like, the, I mean, this makes sense to you. Like, what? what's to be done here? Because I don't, I think there's real eye test issues with that starting lineup, the current one they have now, where it's, like, hard to th- think of a world where it gets, like, so much better. Mm-hmm. And... At the same time it's like what can be done so this is all they're in a they're in a tough situation here
0: this is the problem okay and I'll, I'll say this as clearly as possible and it'll get we we know how it works it'll often get twisted cam thomas has played really well this season cam thomas's development is critical the high level question is are the brooklyn nets looking at cam thomas as a core member of this team going forward if they are then that's all that matters. His development, keeping him in the starting lineup and finding the trying different things, finding ways to create value around him that converts his big games into big Nets wins. However, if it's about balancing this sheet of of winning games this year and going to the playoffs, then as you said, the Dorian Finney-Smith in the starting lineup, well, that's been successful. The other problem here is that you don't know what does that second unit look like? Because we always talk about depth. So I agree with you. Cam Thomas should be in the starting lineup and you should be developing him. There are these questions in the background that need to get answered. Are you trying to just showcase them because you want to trade him? I'm not saying they should or shouldn't do that. But, but the, if you answer those questions with, with you know, yes, we want to try to maximize his value potentially in a trade for another player. Okay, then you can do whatever you want. But if it's about his long-term development for this organization, he needs to start. When you look in the second unit, though, the problem is wh- what does that second unit look like? If you keep Cam Thomas in the starting lineup, there just is not cohesion. Maybe with with Dennis Smith Jr. back, maybe with Lonnie Walker back, that looks different. But the reality is the net rating, the X factor is Cam Thomas with these guys. I put it on the players around him. I put it on the coaching staff to not be able to figure out how to make this be one of your better lineups. The fact that it hasn't been over this sample is certainly concerning. I, I don't know what the solution is, though. Some people have suggested, well, Cam Johnson is not playing well. He's not that guy. Put him to the second unit. I don't know if he gets any better in the second unit,
1: though. He is well, I, get, guy, I think the, the content, game, the contention there is the contention there is you, he just hasn't been very good. And right. So, demotion like, by performance, right? You're not good enough. You shouldn't be in the starting rotation 100%. I
0: and I and I agree with that on paper. The problem is like, then maybe he just becomes like a pretty average to bad player in your bench unit. And I'm not saying that that's good or bad. That just means he's a bad player, not good enough, or doesn't work with this system. But you're trying to, I think, thread this needle of maximizing whatever the best version of all these players are. And the truth is you need one more really good player. Maybe you you need the Ben Simmons to be here. You need another top flight guy that would plug in as one of your top three best players in this roster to help balance out and maximize everybody's value. And they just don't have that player right now
1: yeah and i think with this all this i, and I agree not that. that guy by the way like i'm not
0: uh, yeah he's not the guy he does not maximize others right he's a great player he plays at a high level but he is not going to maximize other players value
1: it, uh, yeah yeah it doesn't feel like he's a floor raiser like in in in, yes. in his and i and i that's fine like not everyone needs to be like that but it's mm-hmm. just like if you're not that you need to be kind of like super elite and i'm that's like he hasn't been that either that and look, I think what this West Coast trip highlights, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the starting lineup stuff, uh, like in an episode, we have a ton of, there's other stuff we want to get to too. Like Donovan Mitchell trade has been floated out here multiple times too. And maybe we'll, but we'll try to get to that this week as well. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so That's just like a whole other, a whole other can of worms. But <laughs> I think what also this West Coast trip highlighted for me, and this might be my final thought on this before, like we just sort of move on, but is I think it was probably really underrated. And I think we and we even talked about it a lot too. And I, we still probably didn't properly rate it of just how much these bench guys had really been saving the net season, <laughs> right? Like, like, like the contributions of D- Dennis Smith Jr., the contributions of Lonnie Walker, the minutes they had got out of Watford at times, what dayron had done off the bench. We understood that it had been good, and we've talked about it plenty. Where it's like, oh, these guys have been really, really good. But now that those guys are gone, I think you really saw it. It was like, oh, they really have relied on these guys a ton to just crush other other teams' bench units and keep them in games or just come back in games. And the second those guys were gone, there was no juice off the bench. They had to run the starters a million minutes. They're all exhausted. And we knew it was a thing, and it, I think it just probably was a way bigger thing than we even realized. And what Because once it's gone, you really notice it. And... That I that that to me is as much a story of it as anything else. It's like they just lost a ton when they lost twenty minutes a game at Alani, and you know eighteen minutes a game at a DSJ. Like that matters for them.
0: It was no, and it's funny too because we were always listening as a as an asset, the bench, which it is, right? Like oh, the ba- the bench is playing so well. But I think to your point, we were never saying it as the bench is playing so well. And without the bench, what would this yeah. look like without these little step up performances, right? Because. Our, quote, best five against your best five, we said this in the offseason, that's going to be average at best. And most nights you're going to look across the court and say, yeah, they have the superstar, they have the better players, and it's going to take this depth to help this team move along. And I will say, with the Donovan Mitchell trade talk that we'll do and all this other stuff, this road trip also, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do coming back here. Because there was a little bit of a back-to-earth moment for me, watching this road trip. Watching without some of these key bench pieces, if they're 100% healthy, even without Ben Simmons, 100% healthy with all their depth, I think they can go in, they can win in those margins and win a lot of basketball games. But taking away, I love Lonnie Walker, he's been great. I like what Dennis Smith Jr. brings to the table. The fact that those two players were not available, and this is how the, this five game stretch looked, it, it was eye opening to me, of like, okay we've probably been trending very thin on some of these key areas yeah and you just don't realize it until it hits you right you don't realize until you get a one and four road trip and you go yeah okay if you don't have that extra three-point shooter it gets a little bit clunky right if you don't have that extra key defensive player that can pick up a backcourt matchup consistently defensively yep it's not gonna buy you some of those possessions and we know the defense has been a struggle all year long for this team that happened again last night early in this game too so there's some warts on this team I don't think we we had any you know, misconceptions around that, it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from this. Because now when we look back at this schedule, we do start to see Nets are winning games against the bad teams, playing well and losing to the good teams, and then also throwing in a couple of real clunkers along the way. So we may be regressing back to the mean here, which I think is probably closer to where Doug was at the start of this season. And we have to see if the Nets can rebound off of this.
1: Yeah, uh, so uh, like I said, plenty of stuff to talk about the rest of yeah. this week. We'll get into the idea that has been floated out here that Donovan Mitchell is going to be traded by the Cavs and that the Nets have sort of like long-time been on the list of possible suitors there. So we definitely want to get in, into that. Obviously, we're going to be coming up to preview the Knicks and Nets coming up uh, tomorrow as well, so make sure you check all that. Make sure you, in the meantime you subscribe to Locked On Nets over on YouTube. Subscribe mm-hmm. wherever you listen to the podcast. Buddy.
0: I choose to run towards my problems and not away from them, because that's what heroes do. Now, that's Chris Hemsworth, and I'm really hoping it's a quote from a Thor movie, because if that guy's walking around saying that kind of stuff day to day, we got problems. All right,
1: one of the all-time great posts. We'll back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Every day.